The following events took place over the space of a year. It took me a while to link all of them and realize what had happened, so I'm going to try and relay it as I experienced it. I'm 31 now, but this took place when I was roughly 18 to 20 years old. For the majority of my career, I've been a support worker. This involves supporting adults with learning disabilities or health issues in their own homes and out in the community, basically with all and any aspects of their lives. The job involves long hours and often sleepovers or working nights. In this case, the other two staff members went home at 8 p.m. or 10 p.m., depending on if the service users were overnighting at their parents, which was a regular occurrence, and the sleepover would stay with the remaining clients in case they had a health concern or needed support with something overnight. At the time, I was working in a service with three young men who were very active within their community. This meant that I was also active in their community, out and about all the time, helping them to or from college, work, recreation. We got the bus a lot because they had concession passes. I live in the UK and can't drive, so I commuted to and from work on public transport. The service we worked in was based across the road from a nursing home or possibly a respite center. To this day, I'm unsure what it actually is or was. This building had parking spaces outside it, intended for the facility, but after certain hours, anyone could use them. At 10 p.m. every night, I was on shift. Whether I was a sleepover or finishing for the day, a car would park across from us and shine its high beams right through our window. This would also light up the adjacent front door so anyone interested could see who was leaving. Even though the clients were in bed by this time, there was still a lot to do for the remaining staff member, like ensuring the property was secured and the fire doors throughout the house were closed. Just general health and safety things. So a car across the road blinding our staff as they left was low down on the list of concerns. Personally, I assume that it was also the facility staff going home. 10 p.m. is a normal finishing time in the care sector. This went on for a few months before one eagle-eyed colleague told me this only happened on days when I would come into work. We made a joke about how I had a fancy man picking me up, but I wrote it off. Not really an event, but whilst out and about with the people I supported, they would often say, my name, that man is looking at you. My service users were young men who liked a joke and had limited mental capacity, so often their jokes did not seem like jokes, but were intended as such. This started with one client specifically. I worked with him more than the others because I was his key worker, which meant I had additional duties relating to the client. But before long, they were all telling me there was a man who was staring at me or following me. They often said this in crowded public places, and because they struggled to communicate, they could never describe him fully. But one of them said it was always the same man, and they gave the odd, vague detail, which we pieced together into a wider description, and will be relevant later. Again, the other staff found it odd that this behavior was only directed at me. The clients never said this to anyone else, though they did say it in the presence of other staff, if it was part of the group. The Escalation This event had such an impact that I still don't use public transport alone in the evening. I got a call from the mother of the person that I was supporting that day. He had earlier gone for a visit to his parents, and his brother was home from uni so they decided he would sleep over so he could spend the following day with his brother. It was 7.30 p.m. and dark because it was winter. I had worked over my contracted hours that month as we were short-staffed, 
so I called our on-call manager who offered me an early finish. I did all the admin work that we were required to do daily, cheerily said goodbye to everyone before leaving to catch the bus at 8 p.m. It had been laundry day, so I had been ironing and hadn't eaten the food that I had brought with me. I called my partner at the time, and because I had to pass through the city center, I decided to grab us KFC and pick up the newest Game of Thrones book, which I had pre-ordered from Waterstones, as it was December and the shops were open late for Christmas. I got off the bus, wearing my headphones as per usual, picked up the book, walked down to KFC, which was next to the metro station, got my food, and was on my way down the steps to the ticket barrier. Halfway down the steps, I had a tap on my shoulder. I had my hands full of chicken, so I turned, unable to take my headphones out, to see a man who I assumed was asking about which line he should be on, or something like that. I tried to brush him off, but he followed me to the barrier. He ran down the escalator to catch up with me. As I was sitting on the platform, he sat next to me. It was late, and people were sparse and spread out. It was super uncomfortable that he had all this space and chose to invade mine. Having a seat for my chicken, I took a headphone out because he seemed angry with me. He was rambling, but in a nutshell he told me that he had seen me about often, with different men. People I was supporting, I assume. He said a lot of odd things which didn't actually register as creepy until I got home. He said that I live on road that I work on and often go between two houses. At that time, we had another service a few doors up again with three young men. That was my original service, but it was better conditions at my current service, so I had hopped over when they needed staff. It was run by the same company. As I knew the service users, I'd often cover there if they needed me, rather than call agency staff. He described my commute, including times, the clothing that I wore, whether I was with somebody, or if I had headphones in. He said my hair changed a lot. I had semi-permanent colors that I changed regularly, but this is only something that he would know if he had been watching me for a while. Looking back, there was a lot of things that indicated that he had been, but while I was tired and he was rambling, I just wanted him to go away. He was inexplicably angry with me and saying he just wanted to look after me, and I kept ignoring him. This was the first time that I had ever seen this man. I can't remember how I responded exactly, but I basically told him that he had the wrong person. However, it did freak me out enough that I changed lines and metros a few times. I was on the phone to my partner the whole time after I got on the metro. He followed me at first, at a distance, but eventually lost track of me. He was unable to describe anything I did after the city center, so I think this was the first time he had followed me beyond my changeover. I did end up safely at home that night, but over an hour late, and with cold chicken. I told my manager about this, and she gave me a personal alarm. I hadn't yet connected it to prior events, so I just let it go, thinking it was a one-off. Final event. I was either not at work or on annual leave, and only have a vague recollection about hearing about this event. In fact, I had forgotten it entirely until a co-worker at the time and a current friend reminded me. Two of my co-workers were upstairs sorting out medication. They came down to find a man the same ethnicity and same general description as my stalker. He was sat at the table. The guys we supported were in their rooms, so downstairs had been empty. As you can imagine, they were quite shocked. This was a secure service that protected vulnerable adults. He had managed to bypass multiple doors, 
all of which were both locked and alarmed. He was just sitting in silence, looking around the room. We still don't know how he got in, but he didn't respond to their questions, and after a while, just got up and left without saying a word. This obviously got reported, but nothing was really done about it. At the time, the other staff assumed he was an agency staff member who maybe had the wrong house and was meant to go to the other service a few doors up, but he didn't present them with ID when asked. I'm not sure why they didn't call the police, because that's what I would have done. Shortly after this event, I got offered a new job in a different city, meaning I left the area entirely for about five years. I now live back in the same vicinity, but a different area, and with a different name through marriage. I also look a lot different now, as I'm old and ghastly. I've never seen this man again, thankfully. I can't prove that these events were connected, just that the description of the man was consistent from everybody that spoke about him. My co-workers, the people that we supported, and of course my own account. After the metro incident, I started getting taxis home because I was so afraid, which I still do if I'm out late. I'm now also extra vulnerable because I myself am now disabled, meaning that if this man ever did find me, I wouldn't know what to do. So I'm of the mindset that everyone should know a little bit about cars. I've always been mechanically inclined, and I think that may have saved my life. I was using dating apps a few years ago. Met this guy. He seemed super nice. We talked for a few weeks before I was willing to meet him. His dad owned a local gun store where I would go get my Target stuff. So I had seen this guy around and had a decent impression of him, but wanted to be safe. He invited me to a concert at a local town site. It was a concert I really wanted to go to, and I figured it would be safe since it was a well-known place with a lot of security. I let him pick me up because we had talked about mechanics and cars, and he wanted to show me his Mustang. He bragged about how well he kept it running and how he babied it. I was into time trial racing at the time, so I was interested to see what he had done. He picks me up, and we start heading to the event. Right before the exit, he says his car is acting funny. I was watching the dash, and if you've been in racing, you know our cars and trucks usually have extra accessories, whether it's aftermarket racks, gauges, or switches. There's usually something aftermarket inside the car. There was nothing extra. The car felt like it was shifting correctly. There was no shutter or noise, nothing to indicate any problems. I was like, that's weird. And all I said was, we should try and limp it to the concert venue. It's less than a mile away, and it's better than being stuck on the I-15. He agrees, and drives us very carefully the last mile. We get to the concert, and things were going okay-ish. He kept watching me, and buying me drinks. I refused to drink, though. So every time he gave me one, I would make up an excuse, and go to the bathroom and flush it. He kept making comments about how well I was handling my alcohol. Made me super uncomfortable. The concert ends, and it's time to leave. For context, this concert happened at the local reservation town site, and at the time, the res didn't have great cell service, so I couldn't get a hold of anyone to come get me. I decide to bite the bullet, and I talk him into taking the old highway instead of the 15. It sounds silly, but when you take the old highway, even though it's slower, people are more willing to stop and help you than they are on the freeway. I figured if he was having car troubles, it would be safer and we wouldn't have people flying by us at 80 miles an hour. We make it halfway between the town site and our town, and he says the car is acting funny again, so he pulls over. I'm stone cold sober, 
and didn't notice anything wrong. So when I get out of the car to check it out with him, he starts making comments about how I'm drunk and I should wait in the car and that it's safer because you can't trust drunk Indians, especially with a little girl like you. This dude had no idea that I'm actually native and I just had an albinism. The hairs on the back of my neck are standing up, so I checked my phone. I just barely have service and start texting my dad. As I'm walking away from the engine compartment, I noticed that he was watching me, so I started acting like I was trying to get cell service to get help. Out of the corner of my eye, I watch this man take the spark plug wires off the distributor cap and switch the order. Your spark plug wires connect to the distributor cap based on the order your cylinders fire in, so doing that will either make the car run terribly or not even turn on. I manage to send my dad a picture of what he's doing, and my dad tells me to start walking. As I go to walk away, this guy gets back in the car and opens his glove box, which exposes a pistol that he had. He tells me not to worry and that we'll be safe. I probably broke a world record for how fast I was texting my dad. He says to start walking and tell the guy that he is on his way and that our friends live up the road. So I do. I start walking with the purpose and take off as quick as I can. The guy is yelling after me and I yell back that the wind is too loud and I can't hear you. I'll be back with our friends. I'm scared out of my mind. We're 10 miles out of town with no one around. The closest road actually leads to a cemetery so there really is no one out here to help me. I get a really bad feeling the farther I get from the car, so I turn around and look. The hood is closed, his lights are on, so I decide to hide in the farm irrigation next to the road. I keep walking towards town and text my dad what's happening. I hear a car slowly coming up behind me and see a flashlight, so I press against the side of the ditch and I wait for it to pass. Once I can't hear it anymore, I crawl out and just kind of keep walking along the weeds. My dad texts me that he sees me, so when he pulls up, I run to his truck. As we make it towards town, we pass the dude, and he's got like three cop cars around him. My dad tells me not to worry about what happened. I heard through the grapevine later on he had been charged with violent crimes in the past, and that he had been arrested that night for carrying a gun without a permit. The police never talked to me though, although I haven't seen that guy in town since. If I didn't have experience with cars and didn't know what he was doing, I could have been dead in that ditch instead of hiding in it. In most places, there's basic car care and maintenance courses that you can take. I highly recommend that everyone takes them and at least knows the basics. This dude knew that I knew cars, but his whole goal was to get me so drunk that I wouldn't realize what was happening. I thank my wits for telling me not to drink. I thank my knowledge of cars for knowing what he was doing. I thank my legs for getting me out of that situation. And the most, I thank that one bar of cell service that let me text my dad. This happened years ago, but the thought of it still keeps me up at night. I was walking through the hills of a provincial park with my dog during winter so the sun set much faster than I had expected and before I could get back to my car. Once the sun was gone, all you could see was darkness. I was walking slowly through a field when out of nowhere, I had, to this day, the most gut-wrenching, undeniable feeling that I was being watched. I turned around and in the distance, I saw a figure standing there, darker than the night sky around us. The instant I saw him, my stomach dropped and my body literally froze. 
I knew in that moment, somehow, he was coming for me. I grab my dog's leash, and we book it. I mean sprinting, full speed, up and down hills, around trees, down embankments. I was running so fast, as if my life was dependent upon it. And to this day, I'm sure that it was. I make the 30 to 45 minute trip in 10, and all that stands before me in my car is the switchback that you have to go back and forth up if you want to reach the top. So once again, I'm giving it all I got, running up this switchback as fast as I possibly can, and once I reach the top and look back down, who else but this person is chasing me? And does he go up the switchback like how any sane person would? Of course not. He starts sprinting right up the middle of this switchback, headed straight for me. I scream at him, F*** off, and he doesn't say anything. Not a single word, just continues running right at me. I'm so lucky that my car was at the top of that hill, because as I ran towards it, just like in the horror movies, I drop my keys and am fiddling with them trying to open the door. Just in time, I get the door open, throw my dog in, and shut the door behind me just as this guy reaches us. The best part is, there were no other vehicles parked anywhere around us. But where did he park? Yeah, right next to me, of all places. Now this guy literally jumps into his truck, and to this day, I have never seen a better example of speeds out of there like a bat out of hell. He guns the engine so hard that black smoke is blasting out the back as he swerves out of there, leaving skid marks behind him. I sat in the back of my vehicle for hours afterwards, shaking and crying, knowing I was this close to whatever he had planned for me. And that's why I'm sharing this story, in hopes that people won't ignore the gut feeling that they have, that little voice in the back of your head that tells you to run. Because if I did that day, I never would have noticed him in time, and would not have had the head start that I needed to escape. Always trust your gut feelings and intuition. It might really be the deciding factor in if this is your last day on earth or not.